0: What's up, everybody? Troy Cartwright here. Hey, we had a ton of interest um, in our meetup for Tenure Town here in Nashville, so um, if you want to make sure you're aware of the details for that, join our community at tenuretown.com. And uh, also just wanted to give you guys a quick update. We are hard at work um, at finishing up and editing our Q&A episode, and uh, hope to have that to you guys here soon. Thanks. Today's guest is publisher Tim Hunzey. Tim Hunzey is over at Big Machine, and full disclosure, he is also my publisher. I can attest firsthand to how great he is at his job and how much it has changed my life. If you are a young songwriter trying to get started, this episode is going to give you so much value about what a publisher is looking for, how to be a great songwriter for your publisher. But without further ado... Tim Hunzi. Well, I always start this thing off with the same question, which is... Are we live?
1: Is this going? Yeah, we're
0: going. Okay. Uh, Which is, uh, how long have you been in town, Tim Hunzi?
1: Longer than most of your guests, I think. Okay. Uh, I moved here in 1988. Okay. That was a long time ago. What is that, 35? God, I don't do math. So yeah, something like that. Long yeah, time. I came years. down. When I moved down in '88, I was going to MTSU, but I lived in Nashville, drove up to Murfreesboro at the time. That didn't seem like that big a hassle. It was a freaking hassle. Uh, 24 <laughs> was a nightmare. Um, even then? Even then, dude. Always. It's always been a show. A yeah. shit Show. Uh, went two years to MTSU and uh, graduated, interned at Sony Records. It was just changing from CBS Records to Sony. And uh, Oh, wow.
0: Then. How, how did they.
1: Buy it, sell it? Like, how did that? Yeah, I forget. I just remember shredding a bunch of the old uh, letterhead. (laughs) That was one of my intern jobs. Really? We stuffed envelopes. What I did then, I worked in publicity. And when an album or a CD was released, you had to do mailers. And uh, that was my job as the intern. I had to do the uh, mailers. And so I would stuff uh, the CD, the bio, the uh, headshot, and for like 500 pieces to all the, um, you know, tastemakers so they would get it so yeah wow yeah, yeah
0: what did you study at mtsu
1: oh recording industry management bro
0: okay yeah. is that like the music is that the music business yeah. degree
1: okay. mass comms technically my, I see. my it's mass comm with an emphasis in recording industry management
0: okay uh what other internships did you
1: that was again? it man that was it I just did one i transferred over i was a i came in as a junior okay and so cool. i just had the time for one but that's Funny enough, it turned out I became really good friends with my intern supervisor, Cheryl Lindsay. Shout out to Cheryl. Uh, and she's the one that ultimately got me my job in a tape room at a little company called Great Cumberland Music Group, which started my journey. That was in 1993 uh, when I got my first official job in the music business yeah. in a tape room of Great Cumberland Music Group. I had no idea what publishing was, but 30 years later, I think I figured it out. Yeah. As much as I'm going to figure <laughs> it out. I still don't know what I'm doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, thirty years in, you've probably you probably know a little bit.
1: I know a lot of what not to do, Troy. <laughs> that's what I've learned. A lot of what not to do. Yeah, well, that's half the battle, right? That's most the battle. Because if I ever figure it out, I might be rich. But I am <laughs> not there yet.
0: Being in the tape room, like what? What did that? Was that literally like listening to demos? Was it like sorting, sorting demos and songs? Like what, was, what, what did that job look
1: like? Oh, <laughs> back in my day, son. <laughs> we were just, I was, uh, they were finishing transferring most of their uh, songs over to Dat Tape. Yep. So I did a lot of transfers, even okay. from some reel to reel, which most of the kids probably don't even know what that is. But uh, yeah, I did everything. I actually came in and it was kind of a mess. The company had been, uh, Bill Hammond had had a partnership with Jimmy Bowen And Bill bought out Jimmy, so there was me, a receptionist, and one creative. Uh, And the tape room was a bit of a mess at the time, Mm -hmm. so I... My job was to organize it. So I remember putting all their pitch, uh, which were paper. They had them in binders, all the pitches that they'd made, and I put it into a, an Excel spreadsheet, and they were, wow. like, stunned that you could do that. I'm like, yeah. yeah, man, let me show you how to organize this shit, bro. <laughs> and then they, they actually had all those demos were done on Rolodex cards, and so you would flip through it to find – you'd look it up by title and then find out where it was in the archives and go yeah. pull it out.
0: So would somebody say, like, hey, I want to pitch – this song to so and so artist, and like, how would you, how would you do it?
1: <laughs> they would hand me a piece of paper with the songs that they wanted on a cassette tape, because this was cassette tape days, and yeah. uh, and I would go pull the songs and record them on the cassette tape, make the J card, label the cassette, and then hand it to them. So it was all real time. So there was no last minute pitching, because it was all like if you. You had fifteen minutes worth of songs on there, you had to wait for my ass for fifteen minutes to get it done for you. Oh,
0: I see. You literally it literally took the time because oh, you yeah. had to like
1: Real time. Yeah. Start, stop, start, stop. Wow. And sometimes you'd clip it. And if you clipped it, they'd make you do it again. It was it was a process. Yeah. It took me a minute. I figured it out. Yeah. But yeah. And then they would a lot of times you were the delivery guy. I was the Uber of the tape. So they'd be like, Yeah all right, take this over to the studio and then just put it in this car or go see so-and-so. Or, but you would walk into sessions. Like, I would be sent over to go. Tony Brown would be cutting George Strait over at soundstage, and you'd run over the last-minute pitch, and I would run in, and sometimes you'd get to go back. Sometimes you just drop it off and, and whatever.
0: So so sometimes would you, like, go back and, like...
1: I wouldn't play it because okay. I was just the delivery boy. Gotcha. So, uh, yeah, I would just hand it to him. I'd wow. be like, oh, you're Tony Brown. Awesome. That's uh, crazy. Or Mark Wright or... You non know, on occasion, fun story, I remember one, they're like, they give you the most random, like, it, there was no Google Maps, by the way, no GPS. So yeah. they're like, it's this house, and you go down, it's a third one on the left, just stop in the back, and, and you know, Music Row was pretty much everything was on the, you know, 16, 17, 18. Yeah. So you drive down, and one time, I pulled in the back, and I opened the back door, and I'm going in, they, they told me, go in the back door, and da 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 and I realized I'm walking in and I walked into a kitchen and there was somebody, wasn't there, but somebody was cooking breakfast. And I realized this is someone's house. So I slowly backed out and shut the door. I was in the wrong place. No way. Yeah, totally. You just walked into Just walked house. into somebody's house. Yeah. <laughs> True stories. This is, uh, this is what tape, tape guys did back in my day. Yeah. yeah. Wow.
0: <laughs> That's crazy.
1: <laughs> Always good times.
0: Yeah. I feel like uh, even now you will put... Uh, like an address in my calendar, and I will go there to write. And I've maybe not written there before. And there is always this like bit of anxiety before you go in, especially if you don't have somebody's number. Yeah. You're like, this is someone's house. I hope I'm like at the right house right now.
1: Have you gone to the wrong house before?
0: <sighs> I don't think I, I, you know, now you just call.
1: You have such a good publisher that never happens, right? That's
0: right. That's right. <laughs> You've never led me astray.
1: Well, I hopefully don't put the wrong address in there, but it's gonna happen. You'll walk into the wrong place sometime. Yeah. It's, it never fails.
0: Yeah. Uh well yeah, like like today I showed up to to Warner Chapel and I didn't have a right. But that wasn't your fault. Thanks, Brad. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. Little
1: we'll, little throwback to Brad day.
0: <laughs> Um Well, I'll go forward a little bit, but but I I wanna go back first so before you went to MTSU where did you like grow up and how did you like develop a, a passion for
1: oh, I don't want to go too far music. but I was born in Florida all my elementary years I grew up in Birmingham Alabama but okay. we moved to Knoxville eventually that's where okay. my dad was born and raised Knoxville Tennessee And my mom was big on music. Um, You know, she was where probably where I got my love of music. She listened to whatever current radio was and would buy lots of 45s. You know, when we walked through the Sears and Roebuck, she'd be like, oh, this looks popular. Let's buy this. So we did a lot of that. But being on the music, when I got there, I tried guitar in Birmingham. It just never connected with me. I don't get the whole string thing. But Mm -hmm. uh, I remember going to Hughley's Music Shop in Knoxville, Tennessee, for anybody that used to be in Knoxville. And they had a trumpet and a snare drum. That was all they had left to rent and uh, give lessons on. I'm like, well, I'm going snare drum. Who wants to play the trumpet? So yeah. that was the beginning of the end. My mom didn't know that that was going to be a passion. And so from the age of about 13, that was all I ever wanted to do. So, was play drums. I was going to be a rock star. Yeah. Uh, at 55, still that dream has not come to pass yet, but <laughs> I still have a drum set I, I practice on. So if anybody needs a 55-year-old drummer, let me know. We're, we're in. Uh, but that was what began my music business career. You know, I was always going to be a player. Yeah. Up until I got a job in a tape room, got married, had a kid, and I was like, oh, this music business side seems pretty cool. Yeah. A little
0: little bit more stable. A little... Loosely.
1: Not a ton. <laughs> I know. We can get into my story. It's been nothing but change. But, yeah. I mean, the reality is for me, like, I learned early on, even when I was playing in bands in the basement, I was the guys like, well, I'm tired of just playing to these four walls. What do we do? And I don't know. Our first gig, I got us booked at some bar in Knox. I was like, I don't know, 16, 17, and a guy let us play for beer, you know? Yeah. And we were terrible. We knew like five songs. My right. singer would forget the lyrics. It was terrible. It was metal. You know, we did covers and whatnot. But I always was that guy that kind of figured out the next step. So I always was kind of the band manager. And I got a really good band and a cover band that we made money. Like that paid for a lot of my bills in college at UT. I was a house band at the library on the Strip. Most people know where that is. And we used to play all the weekends, all the frat parties. But I figured that out too. you go meet all the social directors. You start to become buddies. And they they pay good money, man, for cover bands. So I did a lot of that.
0: And that was kind of your... Yeah. your foray into the the business side of of the music industry. Well,
1: the bigger one, I jumped off like I I couldn't get a job. When I graduated in 90, it was a rough time in the business, so I didn't get a job right out of the way. But what led me to move here was I moved here with an artist. Uh, okay. A friend of mine had graduated a couple of years ahead of me. And uh he's like I'm moving to Nashville, and that's where I found out about MTSU the whole program, but I'll keep this short. So, but I moved down here to be with continue working with him because there was a producer that wanted to work with him and When I got out of college, he was still trying to figure it out. And I said, dude, I know how to do this. I might be slightly cocky. Uh, And I was like, all I need is money, man. And we could put your own music out. You're great. Yeah. Well, he found somebody with money. So we started a record label. Wow. And uh, we did the whole thing, came down here and recorded. I'd moved back to Knoxville at this time uh, to work with him and start this label and... We put out a single. It charted very lowly on, uh, on Billboard. Uh-huh. I mean, this is like three guys. Like It was three people out of Knoxville, Tennessee, and we got a video on BET. It was a, he was an R&B singer. And we had a lot of action, but we didn't have distribution.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, there
1: was no digital distribution. Learned a very valuable lesson in the music business. You have to be able to sell your product. Yeah. And that didn't happen. And How,
0: how did it chart? Like, how did that work?
1: I was the radio promotions guy. So you I would just call... Okay, this is might get long. I'm a storyteller, but like in that day again, there was no internet really, so I went down to the library to, and you get the standard rates and data books, which came out regularly, and I looked up all the radio stations that of uh, pop and R&B, mm-hmm. made a database, and we made and mailed out because I worked in a in the label and I knew how they did it. Uh, we mailed out uh, promos of his record. And uh, with, a, with a, um, a, f- a flyer and a whole thing. And we mailed it to all the radio stations, and then we called them all. Really? Yeah, literally sat there. Yeah. Three of us just called all the radio stations across the country wow. and just talked to them. And yeah. same thing with uh, uh, BET. I just kept wearing this guy out, and finally he just acquiesced. and said, look, I'll put it on this smash and trash thing, dude. I really like you, but I don't think the video's that great, but I'll do it just to get you off my back. Yeah. And he did, and it kept winning for about a month.
0: Really? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Was that like a like a head to head thing? They'd play a video and say, call in which one's better. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I forget the actual name of it. I mean, this was like nineteen ninety, I guess, something like that. It's been a while. But that's hustle though, man. I mean, so there you go. Like I don't take no for an answer, man. I'm just gonna go after it. So that's what made me kind of good for being a a a plugger. Yeah. yeah. No, you tell me no, I'm gonna come at you harder. <laughs> yeah, like, you really just what do you keep. mean no? <laughs> let me let
0: me tell you that again, but listen to it again. It's really a good song. Yeah, if you listen harder, I think you're gonna hear that this is a good song. Yeah. All right. So yeah, so you you're doing drums, you're kind of managing bands, you're hustling.
1: Yeah.
0: How did you like kind of get your your first role as like a uh, I guess a plugger? Is that is well. that the way you prefer to be? Yeah, I still
1: call myself a plugger. If people ask what you do, and we were just called song pluggers back then, which I still don't know the history of that. I just know that's what we were called because you're just out plugging songs all day long, Yeah, right? Well, I sat in the tape room, you know, kind of figured it out. Like, these guys, I'm like, oh, so they listen to songs, they find their favorites, and then they go play it for their friends. I'm like, this is like high school. Like, it's just awesome. What a perfect job for me. Yeah. But I started because I was archiving everything, and I kind of picked up on what they were doing. Um... I would start making copies of songs I liked and take them to people I thought might work. And there was one that this girl at the time worked for a guy named James Stroud, uh, who was a big producer back in the day at Giant Records. And I dropped a tape off to her and she listened to it and they called to put it on hold. And I remember all the pluggers were like, who sent this song over? And I was like, oh man, I, I dropped that off. And they're like, you did? And they're like, yeah, I just thought it would be good. And it was... Put on hold for a kid that at the time was named Clay Walker, and it ended up being a single, and it went to fourteen, and it was I did that out of the tape room. They did kind of say, maybe ask for permission next time, but (laughs) well, you can work the catalog, but you have to do your own own job for a while. But hey, like keep going, go do it. So I kind of just again just kind of do things. So got a little bit of hot water, but not really.
0: Yeah, I mean it's always easier easier to get uh, forgiveness than permission, right? Yeah.
1: But I lived in the tape room for about five years before I got up to be a full time creative director with my own little office and all that stuff. So, Same company. Yeah. Okay. I, I the Great Cumberland was part of Hamstein. A lot of people remember that name from the the '90s and early 2000s. And uh, Bill Ham owned it. Who managed, published, produced ZZ Top. Uh, being a Texas boy, you probably know Bill Ham, and uh, he was great. Somewhere around ninety eight, ninety nine, he sold that to a company called Mosaic, and then Mosaic sold to Stage 3, then Stage 3 sold to BMG, and then I ended up without a job, started Parallel. Okay. And then yeah, that's the short... Well, Parallel went to Anthem, Olay Anthem, and then I came over to Big Machine. So there's 30 years real fast.
0: That was very fast.
1: But I've been bought and sold a lot. Yeah. Not always fun.
0: Yeah. So on the publishing side in Nashville, right? there's a lot of like uh, i don't know if a lot is the right word there's there's a few independent publishers right were there more in the 90s like was it more were there more companies like cuz on the label side right now it's like incredibly concentrated right there's like your three majors and then what three or four yeah uh, other I guess, would you even call them independent labels? I guess that's the technical term. Well,
1: Big Machine would be an indie, and BMG I'd call an indie, and Black River still technically an indie. Mm -hmm. So there's a few. But, uh, I, I mean, to put it in perspective, I remember the last time I remember counting, there were like 12 labels and hundreds of artists. And, you know, some of those were like, Capital would have Liberty and EMI, so they would have little in, uh, imprints yeah. uh, underneath them. Or Decca and Columbia and Sony uh, were all kind of the same major company. But there were so many and so many ARs. So to answer your question, yes, there was at the time of my early days multiple small indie companies. Yeah, and then came the big uh, mergers and acquisition period because what happened in. Uh, they would all kind of sell here and there, as you could tell, um, and they would change hands. But when BMG really came back, the new one, they bought up so many of the what I'd call mid-size indie publishers. Because mm-hmm. uh, at by that time, we'd gone from Mosaic to Stage 3. We had offices in L.A., uh, New York, uh, the U.K., And then there was Windswept and Chrysalis and Cherry Lane and Evergreen. They bought up a bunch all in about two years. But the way you have to look at it is somebody usually this happens in cycles where they come and they buy all the success up. You know, these small ones that are doing well, not all of them because like Big Yellow Dog's been around for 25 years. Some, Some live, but they'll buy them up. And then it creates fertile ground for new companies to start. And then they prop back up and then they get bought up and then they mm. prop back up if the, or disappear. Some, you know, unfortunately, the success rate of indies is not high. But yeah, so it's, it's hard. It's worse than probably ninety ten. So <laughs> uh, Haven't had one, I know. It's really tough.
0: Do you feel like the reason it's such a a hard business is because it's like, it's hard to build catalog? Like to just get enough songs to compete? Or is it just... Is it just you run out of money or like what, what makes it so hard?
1: Well, I'll back it up. In the, in the nineties, before we went full digital nineties into two thousands, uh, it wasn't. It was still hard because, you know, you're small. You're working on a shoestring budget. You're trying to make things, you know, it's not super cheap to do it. Yeah. To sign writers, you know, you're going to spend some money. Got Back then, you had to do a lot of demos, and demos were not cheap. Mm-hmm. But you could get cuts on records. So back then, you could float pretty good on cuts. And my, if you got a single, that was like gravy, right? Yeah. So, but you could get a lot of cuts. And if you were on gold and platinum records with cuts, you would see real income. And things were way cheaper back then. Rent, overhead, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now it's tough. It's really tough. If you're an indie uh, and you're getting you could get a bunch of cuts, but if you don't have singles, you're not covering overhead. Right. By the time when I started Parallel, by the time I ended it 6 years later and sold it, our rent had doubled. Uh, the cost of hiring people had not quite doubled but gotten close. Rider deals were pretty similar, but you guys need to live. So, you know, what we used to start people off 18, 24, maybe even 30 grand. Now they need forty to survive because you can't live in Nashville for under forty grand. I yeah. mean, on a writer salary, but yeah, uh, you know what I mean. So, yeah, it's it's
0: it's it's so expensive out there, man. To
1: explain it, it's <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard if you want to start a full on independent company that doesn't have anything like a management company, a label, or something attached. It it takes a lot of money and mm-hmm. a lot of effort. Yeah, uh, a lot of them you see that have been very successful are tied to a, a hit writer. Mm-hmm. that might have better access It can can speed up some of the writer developments uh and it's all about access so if you look around and see the really successful publishing companies you can you can draw a line to how that's kind of helped out just purely somebody starting a company and becoming successful that's not either attached to a label or or other than big yellow dog that one but it's been around for 25 years I always give them a little shout out they're they're pretty amazing yeah I'm trying to think I don't I want to say I'm wrong but I can't think of one off the top of my head
0: yeah, yeah, the ones that I that come to mind now are like are like writer driven, right? Or or yeah, big loud
1: smack. Yep. Uh, tape room, which is goery. You know, most of them big big machines have been attached to a label. Now, I will say that it is an independent and has had a lot of independent success. So that's been driven by Mike Molinar and Alex, and and uh, now Michelle Attardi, Atari and me, and uh, uh, Lizzie and and TC, but. The, the beginning of that, really, the success was really driven off the what they've gotten outside the label. But it did help that they had a label.
0: Yeah, sure. That makes sense. You know, yeah,
1: Brett Young and, yeah. and some of the other acts they've had. Yeah, they're, Justin Moore.
0: They're doing all right.
1: They do okay.
0: They do okay. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think where I want to go. You know, there's a lot of, I think that there's a lot of questions that people have about publishing.
1: <laughs> Bring it on, man. Like, <laughs> what do you want to know? There's well, no secrets. I, I think
0: like I, I, I played a show at the, at the listening room on Saturday, which I know you were there, but, uh, afterwards, you know, I had a couple young writers come up to me and say that they listened to the podcast or whatever. And, you know, you can tell that they're like, you get a, you just get a sense, I guess, of like, you know, maybe they want. Some advice or some help or something, and it's like I don't, I don't have any great advice to give other than like keep going. You know, one of the guys was like had just graduated from Belmont and was like twenty three, and I was like, dude, just, just keep going. Like that's that's my best advice that I could give you. But as as a publisher, like what uh, you know, what are you looking for? What makes somebody stand out?
1: Wow, that's the. Between that and how do you, how do I get to you to play, or how do I make it? Those are the big questions. Um, <laughs> man, it's it's tough, you know. For every person that you would ask, it's a publisher that sits in the seat and you ask them that questions. It might be a little different, you mm-hmm. know. It's like it's got to just be, you know. I can hear through. Like my favorite part of what I've done is discovering undeveloped talent, like finding somebody that I like. Those first writer deals, and you find that that rough. Diamond, right? And yeah. and how do you know? I sum it up this way, and I I stole this from my old boss Jeff Carlton, and he I asked him that question one time. He goes, I just think they got something to say, and I want to work with them. And it's you can tell when somebody mm-hmm. has something to say; they have they have a story. You know, it's tied together in some cool melodies. Because everybody's a little different. You know, some people are more lyrically heavy. Some people. I remember hearing Caitlin Smith the first time, Then she had something to say, but melodically and vocally, I was like, who is this? Yeah. This is, like, amazing. And and sometimes now it can just be a complete stop. Maybe it's a producer-writer, and and you're like, well, they are bringing something I hadn't heard to the table. I like whatever that is. So yeah. it's it's kind of multifaceted, but you just know when you – I know people hate it, but it's your gut, man. I've lived off my gut uh, my entire career, and you just go – I'm betting on this horse. I believe in this horse. Yeah. Sorry to compare songwriters to horses, but
0: that's okay. You know. We don't mind.
1: No, it's, it's <laughs> you know, I just want to put my money down on that, you know. Yeah,
0: but it is. It is just it's 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 hard to articulate, but it is like a it's a feeling. Yeah, you know. And sometimes you're wrong. Oof, you know? A lot. I mean, lot. that that happens to uh that happens to to me on the you know, on the songwriting side as well, you're like,
1: I don't know if this
0: guy, uh, is this person got it. And then, you know, they got it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you grow into it, man. Yeah. You know, you take a bet. And on the publishing side, like you said, you just keep going. Like I've given a lot of writers an opportunity early. And, you know, they had success, and it, but it wasn't in the contract I had with them. It was mm-hmm. afterwards. And that's fine too, man, because I want to be a part of someone's story. You know, I want to be a yeah. part of that. So anybody that's coming in, you just got to trust yourself. And there's so many ways, like especially now, to get your music to somebody, whether it is through social media or if you can sing and you drop stuff out to the DSPs or you do ride-arounds, which is the old school way, which still works, if you're good... Mm -hmm and you find ways to get your music out, get it access, uh, it'll rise. The good stuff always rises and people will discover you. It does take work. You know, you got to keep doing it and do the grind that we all have to do, but eventually somebody will notice it and go, that's different. Whether it starts off... You're doing write-arounds. Well, I don't know all the places anymore, but you're out and it's people in the audience recognize and another writer comes up and goes, dude, I like what you do. I want to write with you. Well, write with those people. Figure it out. Find your crew. You know you know this part of it is like, uh, I think of a couple of, having listened to your podcast, a lot of writers say, you got to find your people. Mm-hmm. You'll find your people in and when you attach to that the success comes in a big chunk like then this person might get a deal and then then all of a sudden all the ships start rising and I, that's really cool everybody kind of comes in their own class periods right yeah. so yeah yeah absolutely got to find your people but it's it's just find out ways to get discovered man find out ways to get your songs in front of the right people
0: yeah is that sort of like finding your class finding your people like is that sort of true in the publisher world as too like did you you know start out with a bunch of Young, hungry publishers that, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, of course, man. You find, like, that. I uh, joked, a lot of people might know, some may not. John Mabe was one of mine. Like, he was in the tape room at EMI, and we had, like, the tape guy union, (laughs) man. We all kind of came up. (laughs) Fun fact, Ashley Gorley was my part-time tape guy and intern. And then he went on the beat. Yeah, he worked for us at a a little for a couple semesters. Man. I always tell people, he was grinding then. He'd go to school, come do his internship, and then he'd be like, hey, man, can I... Can I write in the office after work? And I'm like, sure, yeah, man, go ahead. So wow. the guy was nonstop back then. Yeah. But you do find your crew. I mean, mine always seemed to attach to the, the guys like Mike Molinar and, and Rusty Gaston. And it was been about Kent, Earls, you know, uh, pretty much anybody that's kind of running stuff now. We all kind of came up together. Really? You know? We still laugh like, how in the world are people letting us run these companies, you know? So Chris Lacey, she's one of my longest, longer friends. So yeah. I feel like I'm name dropping, but you asked. But these are kind of- no, I'm asking. That's kind of my uh, class. You know, there's probably some names I'm forgetting, yeah. but we all kind of rolled up together.
0: Me, me, and, uh, me and Ben were working on something like a couple of weeks ago. And we did have this moment where I just looked at him and started laughing. I was like, dude, I I can't believe like we're getting- like, they're letting us do this. Like, <laughs> like this sounds great, and I'm proud of it, but, like, I don't really know what I'm doing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think a lot of us have that imposter syndrome. I always joke that, like, yep. somebody's going to pull the curtain back and look behind the curtain at Oz and go, huh, you know. Yeah. I mean, you you just get... I don't know, man. I will never take out. Uh, I don't necessarily believe in luck. I'm more of a divine kind of human and believe that divine intervention comes into play. But mm-hmm. whatever you want to define that is, you just got to keep at it and you will, one of those acorns is going to grow, man. And yep. uh, you just got to line up enough of those acorns that grow to keep a career going.
0: Yeah. Keep stuff in the pipeline, right?
1: Which there's no magic to it. There's really not. Just Th- hard work. If anybody and- says, and there are people that have, I think, stronger guts than others that have just really lined up stuff that you're like, wow, that is freaking impressive, man. Yeah. You know? Um, uh, one that I've always... Nate Lowry used to work... You know, was Corn Man was a part of Mosaic. We started that with Brett James when I was there. And... Nate has just found so much young talent that has gone on to be successful and given them opportunities it just you know he signed Caitlyn we we kind of introduced him to Caitlyn Missy Roberts was the one that actually uh brought her into the company but to give her her nod but they signed her over there she went on to to do really well you know they've had Josh Miller uh you know he he He's got um, Will Bundy popping and Lydia Schultz. He just always finds little nuggets of things that go on to do really well. And, yeah. you know, finding people like that that have a good gut is is tough Yeah. Uh, consistently.
0: Well, I think that's, um, I don't know, that's something that I see over and over again. It's like developing your taste, yeah. right? And trying to find the stuff that you believe in. So as a writer, you can invest in it just with your time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the... That is like the number one key to success is like if you find something that you think is good, just keep, try and keep, stay as close to it as you can, try and keep working on it. And that, you know, it doesn't always pay off in the way that you think it will. Mm-mm. A lot of times it pays off in a way that you didn't expect, but it often does pay off.
1: And it usually doesn't pay off in the timeline you think it's going to pay <laughs> off. <then. laughs> yeah. It's a slow business, man. There's nothing like slow business, but you know, I guess if I had any other advice that popped in my head while we're talking is like it's so important to hear this part is like as a writer, you don't have to be an artist, but each writer has a unique voice, right? Mm-hmm. And and you've got to find that thing that makes you unique and trust it, whether it's like the way you bring in hooks or the your ideas or your melodic sense or whatever that is, trust it because I, I the number of times I've heard I, well, I want to write songs like, you know, I don't know, Dallas Davidson or Red Aikens or Shane McKnight. Be you, man. Those guys were unique to themselves. And before Shane was anybody, he was just trying to figure it out, man. You know, you, you probably heard his story. He's had quite a story. But him and Josh Osborne and Brandy Clark and Jesse Joe Dillon and these, they were writing together years and years and years ago when no one cared. And hmm. they found the, again, it goes back to class, but they they found a thing that made them unique each one of them, but that worked well together too so you know you just gotta find your voice, trust in that and 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 it'll it'll show through and that comes to that authenticity you can tell when that when those songs have a thread of authenticity to them and and mm-hmm. you know just tell your story man trust it it's really hard to do you, you do we always imitate before we create that's another uh, quote I always heard from Jeff I, he might have stole it from somebody else too but you're going to do that. You're going to learn the basics. You're going to get it down, but then find out a way to make it unique to yourself. Yeah. Which is important.
0: You have to like lean into that thing that makes you you. Yeah. I found that you know, we've been having a little success recently and it I know. it does feel like it's it's just sort of like continuously being like if I do it this way, nobody else is going to do it this way today. You know, no one else is writing a song like this today. Maybe it's a little left to center, but, like, people like it.
1: You Validates know? you. you know? It does. Well, and then when it starts happening and you get that validation, which could start from your publisher going, I don't know what this is, but I dig this. Just yeah. keep doing that. I like that. And then it's got to catch on. And over time, you know, you know to, in order to change the world, you got to take some big swings, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I applaud people that aren't scared to do that. It's not easy to do.
0: Yeah, it's it can be scary to mm. go your own way, you know.
1: Yeah you know because look the harsh reality of what we do is there's a lot of publishers and a lot of writers in town and we're all shooting for the same <laughs> slots yeah and your music's gonna get played in front of those same gatekeepers whether it's the artist the manager the you know uh, the agent the producer whoever it is that you're playing them for what are you doing to make your stuff stand out and be unique amongst them mm. you know yeah so go try to do that take yeah. the big swing
0: yeah um Oh, you wanna you wanna take a little trip down down memory lane?
1: Oh okay. Uh
0: do you remember like your first number one that you that you pitched?
1: You know, I've been asked that and I don't.
0: What is what is like a...
1: You think I would. That's the dumbest thing. And, no, and it... this is gonna sound really weird. I've I've been a part of a lot of success, but to say the one that I pitched that went on, because in my day, again, everybody kind of like it was a group effort. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the first one i I do remember my first cut and it was a single went to 14 was bury the shovel that yeah. Allison Jones heard. I why I remember that. Cause it was, I took it, it happened. Yeah. Is there one that I can remember? I don't know, man. There's well, some in there.
0: What are like, uh, you know, what, what are a couple like high, high watermarks along the way that stick out to you?
1: When Bobby Penson started to connect, um, Bobby and I, uh, I he came through my desk I'd call it that's the way it worked like somebody dropped off his CD I took it to the team in Hampstein and we all believed and so we offered him a deal but he and I worked together for 10 years wow maybe maybe a little longer than that I forget 10 11 somewhere in that frame and uh when it just started kicking cuz he and I you know when you're a young plugger And you've signed something you believe in and you're just going for it, you know. And he and I would, you'd sit in the office, drink your beers, talking about we're going to take over the world, this is going to work, and then it happens. Yeah. to get on those stages to get their first awards is just the most magical moment And for Mm. a publisher to see them have that achievement. And and Bob was one of my first, you know, Lee Miller, um, I didn't sign him, but... Lee Miller and Monty Criswell and I were all like young bucks coming up in the business, and Jeff signed those guys. But I was very active in their careers, and um, man, watching those guys go on to have so much success has been amazing. And to still have relationships with those guys and yeah. and uh, be a part of it, so those are those are really the highlights. Getting on a stage with them, being at their first number one parties, you know, that's so cool. One of the big highlights for me is at Parallel. One of our uh, first big number ones was um, Kelsey Ballerini's "Love Me Like You Mean It." That um, was written with her, so it wasn't like a, it was pitched, but it was her first, the label's first, Lance Carpenter's first, the first uh, fourth Whitehead producer. It was the first. It was such a magical
0: yeah.
1: number one party. And believe it or not, that had been part of many before then. It was one of the first ones my mom came to. Oh, and, that's uh, cool. Uh, at the time, she was sick. she had cancer, and so I was like, "Mom, you should come." I don't, you know, I'll be honest. At the time, I didn't know how much longer she's gonna be around, but it was really neat. That that was the first time my mom and i had been in the business for a long time went, "Oh, this is what you do." <laughs> I'm like, "Well, I'll not don't do parties all the time, but yes, yeah. this is." She goes, "I get it," because so many people were so sweet to her and came in up. She goes, "You know, a lot of people." I'm like, "Yeah, it's kind of my job." Yeah, but it was pretty neat. That's awesome. So I remember those those, those yeah. little moments. Blake Chaffin when he got his first. BMI award for his Brantley Gilbert, which was written with Bobby Pence, and I put those guys together. Wow. So things
0: That's like awesome. that, or
1: what I remember.
0: Yeah, you remember the the people. Yeah, and seeing them
1: succeed. I remember ours when somebody asked me. Yep, it'll happen. Oh it's yeah, coming. I believe. Oh, me too, buddy. <laughs> Belief. <laughs> if you want to know what's a success, is believing. That's right. Yeah, got yeah, to impose your will on people.
0: You got to put it in your mind and then go make it come true. Right. Amen. Right, yeah. Just
1: Keep going, man. Yeah.
0: You know you've you've been in the business for a long time it's 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 changed a lot are you like uh you know feel whatever from where i said it feels like we're like turning a new corner and it's like it's actually like changing like very positively it feels like maybe it's changing quickly like um in a good way just just in terms of like publishing and it being like more wide open and songs getting to more people and stuff like are you uh uh is a leading question but like are you like optimistic about the the future of of publishing and you know Man. song copyrights, etc.
1: Well, okay, you're asking a lot of questions <laughs> in there, but here's what I'll say. My answer to that is, I am excited to be at this part of the history of what where we're at. I see positive changes on of the value of copyrights. Uh, is it where it needs to be? No, but there's some positive changes there. In the business specific to what we do here in Nashville, I, I see more people leaning into songs again, outside songs. Yeah. Uh, I see more opportunity in that. I have always pitched songs. Uh, again, like, you know, my big machine and the companies I've been a part of have been built on pitching songs. You never stop. I can promise you the song that never gets cut is the one that's never been pitched. So. Yeah. I've always had that ethic, always, always, always. And every company I've been worked at and been a part of, that's the ethic of the company. So, um, you know, any young people in the business side that are out there, I know it's hard. I get it. But you're never going to get the cut if you don't go and hustle, hustle, hustle. Hmm. Um, and so do that. But seeing that open up is great. I'm, I'm excited by the music. I think we're, we're very broad. Um, you know, I think there's room for growth, you know, there's, there's definitely some divisive things right now, you know, right, left, whatever. I'm not going to get into too much of that, but there's a lot of interesting things, but it's really exciting to see this. I've never been a part of the industry where you can see, you know, we used to be the gatekeepers. The music business was the gatekeepers. We were the tastemakers. We were the ones that brought the music to the people and go here you're going to like this. We think it's pretty cool and shared it with the world. But now it's almost in reverse because anybody can put anything. There's a lot of noises we know, but there's so much music out there and you see stuff bubble up. And so we're not the complete gatekeepers anymore, but mm. we still have to identify like, okay, we think that will we we can take that and help that move along the line a little bit. And so it's interesting to see this new dynamic where the artist is getting a little more... don't want to use the word power but a little better position to now negotiate and create a better life for themselves going forward yeah and i think that's cool as shit because it's definitely been the other side for so long
0: well it 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 feels like it used to be uh like the funnel was this way so you had to get in at the bottom and they and they could you know push you out to the masses right now it's like it seems like it's operating in reverse there's it's flowing this way but there's a ton at the top right anybody can put out a song anybody can make it make a song anybody can go viral right i mean Mm -hmm. that's fun and then it's just moving its way down and you know you can see it now with even with agents and and publishers and like stuff like that it's like people are getting there's a lot to watch now but people are getting excited about stuff that they're seeing already work and go oh i wonder how i can Uh, build on that or amplify that and it's moving that way which I think is like really exciting from an artistic perspective right because there's less guessing oh we need it to stick to this narrow formula to succeed right now you know you can prove your own version of you know you can make your own meal yeah (laughs) you know with whatever ingredients you want and then you know, in a lot of cases, you're getting to see in real time. It's like, oh, okay, people people want to eat that. So they're, I, I think, like, artistically, like, it's a lot more fun now because you don't have to fit into, like, this narrow tranche of
1: Dude, what kills me music. is the amount of talent, you know, with the advent of all the social medias, you know, Instagram reels, TikTok, all the things. Yeah. You can see and find the most amazingly talented people there's limitless amounts of talent now uh it does require you know somebody you know i don't want to pit this like you know the evil empire and the artists and whatnot but you're still going to need a lot to go from where you're at to superstardom if that's your goal to be a superstar requires a lot a big team a lot of rails a lot a lot of access and um But it is just so cool to see uh, what you're speaking of where you can find something and it's already kind of found itself because probably the hardest thing in artist development is to help somebody. When you find something really raw, which this town's been known, you could just be so green and have no idea what you're doing, but you have the talent and people can see that. What unfortunately happens sometimes is you get signed in, people start spending money and you haven't quite figured it out yet mm-hmm. and then you've amassed some debt and then you end up you know i've never a, seen that you never before, seen that play well no, no well <laughs> dude it happens all the time so you know what i'm saying right you know that's i don't want to say that's unfortunate but that's what happens but now you have the opportunity to kind of do if you're really wanting to be an artist i'm talking more artist specific yeah. conversation here but if you want to do that you can get out there and create it you can find what works instantly you put it out you go oh they didn't like that Oh, but they like this. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of have your voice. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Like what excites me is seeing that people are going to get to a certain level of understanding who they are quicker. Quicker is probably the wrong word. But through the, the reinforcement of yeah. their streaming, their live touring. And so by the time a label or people that see it, that, the gatekeepers that can help pick that up and take you to that next level, you know who you are. And they do too which yeah. is also important. They go, oh, I get that. I know what to do with that. Yep. And it saves everybody a, a lot of money and probably pain. <laughs>
0: because well, it does. It's, it's actually it's harder than you think to tell people who you are mm. because a lot of times you don't even know yourself or you grow and you change as you go on and that can be painful. Well, right? how did
1: you like it when somebody looks at you and goes, man, I think we need a hit. You go write us a hit, Troy.
0: Yeah it's you're like like what does that mean well then you're like you're just gripping the steering wheel tight like that's not always the best way to steer yeah. right um and i thought
1: it, i wrote that already what do you mean <laughs> yeah it's like what
0: about these 200 songs are there no are there no hits in there and and like you know i think what someone is really saying when they're saying that is is it's like we need we need a no-brainer that everybody can get behind and push mm-hmm. all the way through and that is a lot of stars have to align for that to yeah. to occur. And like, you know, that's that's all so, right. To
1: put in perspective for any artist that's out there, you're gonna face this when you when you get signed, uh, even as a writer, right? When you get signed and maybe things aren't really taking off as fast, but what I think people mean when they say that and and you know, you might have been in your deal a minute, you thought you turned into some hits, but what you need is something to excite the building, first and foremost. And the building being your label, your your partners, you know, who's involved, your manager, who's involved. They just want something that gets people engaged at their level first that they can take and then get the other people engaged. It's not always meaning, wow, we need that radio hit. But, yeah, eventually it'll be that. But you got – it's always the fresh-baked cookies. Everybody likes the fresh-baked cookies and – um. It's challenging. That's where it's really tough. Being you guys, like I, I am glad to be on my side of the fence <laughs> because I'm the one that looks at you and go, man, maybe we need another song. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I don't well, know. I like the fresh baked cookie analogy though because that's that's good because everybody everybody can smell it too. But you know they get they cool off pretty fast. So you gotta.
1: They can get hard, man. Yeah. You, you know. gotta. But I still believe in old songs, so don't think songs get dusty. <laughs> but you gotta find the one to get you moving down the road. We yeah. all know what that. And you know, being your own label now, that that's that's challenging too yeah now you just beat yourself up how do those conversations go (laughs) uh
0: insomnia (laughs) that's the main uh that's the main byproduct oh god what's next the 6 a.m wake up of like oh no (laughs) i I have to do this again i gotta string all this together again yeah but it's all right it's going good so far so all right tim thank you for being here brother
1: all you needed from me? That's you're, all I needed. You're pretty easy, man. I appreciate you, buddy. I didn't sound like an idiot. No, man, not at right? all. Uh, hopefully, this has been helpful
0: to some oh, people. Oh, dude, it's been great.
1: That's it. That's the pod. See you later.
0: Thanks, everybody, for listening. Keep rating, keep reviewing, keep subscribing. We love you. Talk to you soon. Bye.